0: We are the descendants of 40 million people who left other countries, other familiar scenes, to come here to the United States to build a new life. I think it is not a burden, but a privilege.
1: Welcome to Statutes of Liberty, an immigration podcast brought to you by Clasco Immigration Law Partners. I'm Michelle Madera. I'm a partner at Clasco Immigration Law Partners, and today I'm here with Bill Stock, another one of my partners, and we will be talking about who can travel to the U.S. right now. As you can imagine, this is changing pretty regularly, but as of September 2nd, this podcast is um, the latest about uh, travel restrictions to the United States. So Bill, why don't you start us off with um, the latest with the travel bans?
0: Absolutely. And it's helpful to think about the travel bans right now as falling into two groups. The first is the location-based travel bans, and there are several of them. Uh, They apply to the United Kingdom, to Ireland, to the Schengen countries, which is most of the countries in Europe, uh, to Brazil, and to China. These bans are based on physical presence in one of those countries during the 14 days before the person came to the United States, meaning that someone who lives in one of those countries is going to have a very difficult time getting any kind of visa to the United States. Those bans are based on the prevalence of COVID-19 in those locations and bar all travel. Now, in addition to those travel bans, There is a much broader global ban that only affects certain kinds of visas. Uh, These are the travel bans. uh, The the current number is 152, so 10052. That travel ban bars the entry of new immigrants as well as H&L non-immigrants. Uh, Those are common work based visas. Now, uh, those travel bans have various exceptions that we'll talk about. But broadly speaking, those are the two different kinds of travel bans. And of course, some people may be then subject to both of those travel bans. For example, if a person uh, is in one of the Schengen countries but is seeking an L visa, they would need a waiver both of the travel ban that applies because of COVID and because of the second travel ban, which is framed in terms of protecting the labor market in the United States from these individuals who would be able to enter the labor market once they came here.
1: So part of these travel bans that have been rolled out in the last several months, um, you know, it's part of a greater effort, I would say, in the last three and a half years to limit immigration. Um, the current presidential administration has made very clear, small baby steps all along the last three and a half years that they want to limit immigration as much as they can, both legal and illegal immigration. So we've seen, you know, challenges to the H one B visa processing challenges to, with an increase in denials to, um, you know, these employment-based visa categories. And now it seems with COVID-19 that there's additional restrictions um, that are, you know, maybe related to the public health, but go well beyond that by restricting Employment based visas for um, companies that need that workforce in the United States. So we definitely believe I definitely believe that this COVID-19 has been a way for the current administration to further its anti-immigration agenda.
0: Mm -hmm. I certainly agree with that just because we have uh, the effect of the uh, 152 ban, for example, um, which bars immigrants from outside the United States primarily hits uh, the family-based immigration system. And the president has criticized that system, calling it chain migration instead of what it is, which is family reunification. Uh, And by barring uh, the way that those people come into the United States, which is through the immigrant visa process, uh, but not the adjustment of status process, uh, the president is both limiting the number of people who can come and uh, skewing the, the makeup of the, people who do make it here um, in favor of people who are coming through the employment-based immigration system.
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, to take it um, a step further, the the categories of H's and L's tend to um, be in low unemployment areas. So the rationale that this is to help the U.S.'s unemployment rate doesn't quite hold true um, because the industries that the, um, H-visa holders are usually in are not industries that are, are greatly impacted by COVID-19 or we're seeing high unemployment rates in. So Bill, who can actually travel to the United States right now?
0: Well, under all of the bans, it is still possible to travel to the United States if you are a green card holder. It's also possible to travel to the United States if you had a valid visa. Uh, so if you had a pre-existing visa that is still valid, you're able to travel. Uh, Under recent clarification from August, it's also possible for you to obtain a new visa if you were physically in the United States on June 22nd of 2020. Uh, That was the day on which the president put this worldwide ban on H and L visas as well as immigrant visas in place. So those are uh, broad groups. In addition, there's another broad group of people married to United States citizens uh, or who, who are the parents of United States citizens, those individuals are also exempt from the ban <clears throat> and still able to get uh, visa appointments on an expedited basis, even if they're coming to the United States just for a visit. So um, in addition, you have to think about, are there categories of visas that are still allowed? We'll talk about that in a bit more detail uh, in a minute. But so. Finding a a country that you can go to uh, where you were uh, physically outside of the UK or the Schengen countries or Brazil for 14 days. That's uh, that's one example. Um, Having a green card or having a valid visa, having been validly in the United States uh, or actually they've now made as of August an exemption, um, which covers people who were Uh, who are joining someone who is already in the United States. So if you're joining an H-1 visa holder, for example, and you are an H-4 visa holder who was outside when the proclamation was issued (coughs) until August, uh, it was not clear that you were exempt from the ban, but uh, the State Department has made a a broad national interest exemption for those individuals to come back and be reunited uh, with their family. So other than those people who aren't covered, uh, you know, you're going to be subject to the ban. Um, and so, of course, that has a lot of impact for your current non-immigrant workforce, right, Michelle?
1: Right. So, um, you know, if you have a current workforce, whether H's or L's, um, who are physically in the United States, they, uh, as of June, in June, that they would not be subject to these travel restrictions for, for the visa type ban. If they were to travel to the UK um, or Brazil or China, where we have a geographic travel restriction, then they would be still subject to that if they're traveling to one of those countries. Um, however, I do wanna just note that while people f- who were physically in the US in June, when that HL travel ban took effect, they may not be subject to that travel restriction, However, I would still caution against travel. The reason being that it is very, very difficult for consulates to um, issue appointments right now. We're seeing point appointments pushed all the way into March 2021 right now um, in these in, in a lot of countries. So you know if somebody goes abroad and needs a visa stamp, even though they're not subject to this proclamation, they might not be able to obtain that visa stamp. Um, and be able to return to the U.S. in a timely manner. So I'm cautioning against all international travel um, at this point because it's it's too uncertain um, how long somebody will be, need to be outside the United States um, to to process their visa and be able to return to the U.S. Um, further, the you know with COVID 19 and and these travel restrictions, we don't get a lot of warning when when they take effect. So while we haven't seen a lot of changes since uh, you know June and early July with these travel restrictions. I would hesitate to send somebody outside the United States because if a travel restriction were to take effect um, in the coming months when somebody's outside the United States, they might then be impacted by it and have a hard time being able to return to the United States. So um, now we have had um, seen some exceptions to the travel ban. So um, Bill, do you want to talk a little bit about what the exceptions are?
0: Right. So all of the travel bans do have, by their terms, uh, the ability of the State Department to issue what's referred to as a national interest exemption. In August, the State Department issued some guidance to more clearly define what was meant by these national interest exemptions. Uh, so, for example, for H-1B applicants, there are, is a broad national interest exemption for public health and healthcare professionals, uh, as well as researchers, Uh, And those include not just individuals working directly on COVID-19, but working for uh, other kinds of substantial public health benefits. Uh, In addition, uh, there are exemptions for people coming to resume ongoing employment with the same employer. Uh, And then there are an interesting set of exemptions, which uh, basically require the State Department to re-adjudicate the H-1B petition. So there are, for example, uh, situations where the uh, individual is employed uh, as an H-1B worker and the wage is uh, higher than the average for that wage, um, where the person is senior in uh, the hierarchy of the employer, uh, where the person has uh, unusual expertise or graduate level education, Uh, And finally, where the denial of a visa will cause financial hardship. Um, It's very interesting that one of the factors the State Department is asked to take a look at is whether or not the person has been able to do their H-1B job remotely from outside the United States. Uh, The State Department has said if the person has been able to do their job remotely, you're not able to demonstrate the kind of financial hardship that uh, would require the person to be physically within the United States. So clearly, uh, as Michelle mentioned before, uh, this is part of a series of changes to the H-1B category that the administration would like to make more broadly. They would like these H-1Bs to only be available if people are making an above market wage or if they have a graduate degree. Uh, And so the administration has put these uh, restrictions into place um, by by, by banning all visas, but creating an exemption to the ban uh, if uh, the person falls into these categories that, uh, that the administration favors. Now, there are uh, also exemptions to the J-1s, particularly for O au- pairs um, and for some uh, specialized uh, secondary school teachers who are foreign exchange participants on the J-1 visa. <clears throat> the limitations for the L-1 Uh, are are tighter. So the requirements are that the person is uh, senior level. So again, the the State Department is being asked to re-adjudicate the L-1 visa, which is for an intercompany transfer. Um, uh, The statute requires the person to have been with the prior employer overseas for one year. Um, The exemption says uh, that it should only be considered if the person is both senior and has spent multiple years with the company overseas Um, and again uh, consideration should be given to whether or not the person can do uh, their job from outside the United States. And then uh, the L1B has a similar uh, uh, sort of restriction, again, looking to restrict the L1 category to individuals with substantially more time with the overseas employer than the statute actually requires. So those are some of the kind of broad categories under which the national interest exemptions are um, said to be appropriate. Uh, This is particularly for the uh, 152 proclamation. Uh, However, these similar kinds of standards uh, could be incorporated into the geography based um, uh, exemptions. So, Michelle, why don't you talk about some of the exemptions that we've actually seen granted under this national interest exemption?
1: So there have been... Exceptions granted by the the State Department at the consulate level um, and then CBP to be able to travel to the United States. So we have seen sort of a wide range of exceptions applied when it comes to research, medical research in the United States. So if the person is coming into the United States to do COVID-19 research, um, that's been pretty openly applied. Um, But as well as um, as any other medical research. Um, So we've had researchers come in for different kinds of genetic therapies, um, and other medical research that would help, um, you know, the public health of the United States. And we have seen those, uh, fairly, you know, openly applied and, and granted. Um, you know, we have seen, uh, you know, some, uh, approval starting to trickle in for the, the H where it's continuing employment. Um, but it's been, difficult to get those consulate um, appointments and and get those expedited so so we're not seeing as many uh real world results uh come out very quickly as as we would like and unfortunately we have seen what's not working um we had a high level executive for a company um to, who was supposed to come to the united states who was a geographic based restriction and unfortunately that was not granted um one way around the you know The geographic based restrictions are to travel to a country for your quarantine period that's not banned. So, for instance, I had a client who um, traveled for 14 days to Aruba from from um, Europe, spent his quarantine period in, in Aruba and then was able to come to the United States after that. I just want to caution that you have to make sure that you are eligible to travel to the country where you're planning to spend your quarantine period, and then that you know country ultimately doesn't have a travel restriction to come to the United States so for instance, um this person had to undergo a covid nineteen test prior to travel to that country um and and meet all of the requirements for visa and and travel to to that country for those two weeks. So that is something that's an option, but again, I would just say, you know, make sure you call us and, and we talk it through um, before going that route. Now there are alternatives to the banned visa. So as Bill's been mentioning, there's those geographic restrictions and then the 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 visa restrictions. So for HLs, certain category of Js, um, there are restrictions on travel for, for those visa categories. So there are options. If you're physically in the United States, like we said, You wouldn't be subject to them if you were physically in the United States in June. Um, So if you're on an H-1B and you need to change status or or you need to change status to an H-1B, as long as you're physically in the United States, that is all processing as it would at any other time. Um, So that's just important to keep in mind. And I, I guess I'll amend my answer there by just saying that uh, close to any other time, we are seeing delays um, with USCIS issuing like receipts for those types of visas and and those um, petitions, which is probably related to COVID nineteen, um, but some other issues happening at the agency as well. The O one has no no restrictions on it, so if you wanted to get an O one, um, if you meet the criteria. It is a visa for extraordinary ability. Um, so we're always looking at that for a lot of our clients to see if they meet those high high standards, that is an option. And um, one thing we found a lot of success in is pursuing a J-1 research scholar um, visa for a lot of our clients. So if you are on an H-1B and maybe you might qualify for that or um, a J-1 for, for professors. So we had a lot of professors who were on H-1Bs outside the United States, you know, due to summer and were planning to come into the U.S. before the semester started. Um, they've been able to change over to the J-1 um, and be able to come to the United States in time for the fall semester to start. Um, for universities. And then the E2 visa, um, as well as the E3 visa or the E1 visa, um, are not subject to any of those, uh, visa classification restrictions. So, um, we've seen those being processed just as they would, um, the consulates are still looking at them. Uh, you know, the consulates are, have a little bit of less capacity just due to staffing concerns and, and social distancing concerns. Um, But those are still going through as well. All right. But there also is litigation challenging all of these travel bans that we've talked about. So, um, Bill, would you want to talk to us a little bit about what might be happening in the litigation?
0: Absolutely. So our partner, Ron Clasco, is chair of uh, the American Immigration Lawyers Administrative uh, Litigation Task Force. It's been a very busy task force for the last three years, um, but their most recent lawsuit is on behalf of a number of foreign nationals who are adversely affected by this travel ban as well as U.S. employers and a union. All of these uh, plaintiffs have sued uh, in the District of Columbia uh, and their lawsuit ha- has requested what is called a preliminary injunction. So. Before hearing the entire lawsuit, they're asking the court to temporarily ban uh, the government from being able to ban uh, these folks from coming into the United States. These uh, litigations basically set up a challenge between uh, one particular section of the Immigration and Nationality Act and all of the rest of the Immigration and Nationality Act. Uh, So there is a section called Section 212F Uh, that President Trump has been uh, very fond of. It was the section which uh, he used uh, when he first entered uh, the Oval Office to ban uh, immigration from uh, predominantly Muslim countries from all around the world. That litigation uh, went all the way up to the Supreme Court uh, on the question of how broad the President's authority under Section 212F was. And of course, uh, by the time the Supreme Court heard the case of Hawaii versus Trump The administration had significantly narrowed uh, what was originally a ban uh, on on a couple of dozen uh, majority Muslim countries. It had been reduced to just six. Uh, They had added some non-majority Muslim countries uh, and they had uh, carefully justified that uh, ban uh, in terms of uh, a lack of information sharing from those governments uh, with the government of the United States. The Supreme Court said then that uh, that more limited ban was a valid exercise of the president's authority under Section 212F, but was careful to note that Section 212F could not be used to rewrite the rest of the Immigration and Nationality Act. Uh, So this lawsuit basically says, uh, hey, this is exactly what the president has done, is use Section 212F to rewrite the rest of the Immigration and Nationality Act. And so a court should now step in and say that uh, the president has um, has too broadly barred people from coming into the United States um, that by declaring these really broad classifications and even worse, by then making national interest exemptions, which uh, restrict the availability of visas in the H and L and J category. Uh, tighter than Congress restricted the availability of those classifications, uh, that a court should step in and say, this is too broad of an authority. This is too broad of an exercise of of that authority and uh, should be banned. Just at the end of August, the court heard arguments from the government and from the plaintiffs on this preliminary injunction, and we do expect a ruling at any time now. Uh, In addition to that litigation, the United States Chamber of Commerce and the National Association of Manufacturers have also brought their own uh lawsuit. There are several other class actions uh for various subparts of uh the groups that are affected by this ban. For example, uh individuals who won the diversity visa lottery and who therefore must immigrate uh before September 30th or they lose their chance to immigrate to the United States. Well those individuals have been banned. There's no broad exemption for them. Uh, And it's interesting, of course, that's another visa category that the president has said uh, he would prefer that was not in the law. And uh, so he's uh, used Section 212F to to keep those folks out. Um, So that's uh, kind of what's going on. We don't yet have any court that has been willing to issue an injunction against the ban. um, But we are hopeful that we'll see such a ban. We're sure that the government will appeal that. So these bans are likely to stay in effect. Uh, through at least inauguration day of 2021,
1: and so you know, as we've all mentioned, this is sort of a rapidly changing area. Um, it's it's kind of hard to believe that um, since March, with everything that's happened with COVID 19, and then now in June with the proclamations and um, you know the exceptions to the proclamations, which came out after that, things are changing fairly rapidly. Um, you know, you can always sign up for client alerts at our website. ClascoLaw.com, um, Clasco is K-L-A-S-K-O, um, and you will. we send out client alerts fairly regularly as well as a monthly newsletter, and then you'll have access to all the latest updates there. If you enjoyed this podcast, we would love for you to give us a five-star rating and write a review. If you have any questions you would like answered, please feel free to email them to podcast at com again Clasco is k-l-a-s-k-o you can follow us on social media which includes facebook linkedin and twitter and thank you again for taking the time to listen to our podcast and thank you bill for joining us today we will have a part two of this podcast which will include travel restrictions out of the united states so um please do enjoy that podcast as well For more information, visit us at classicallaw.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. You can email your immigration questions to podcast at classicallaw.com. The material contained in this podcast does not constitute direct legal advice and is for informational purposes only. An attorney-client relationship is not presumed or intended by receipt or review of this presentation. The information
0: provided should never replace informed counsel when specific immigration-related guidance is needed.